Amen. What a wonderful song, right? And it sounds so good to hear you sing it. I just want you to know that. I love your voice, to hear your voice sing about the goodness of God. Well, I have the incredibly awkward obligation to you right now to introduce to you a man that needs no introduction. As Phil and I were talking about this and we were eating lunch together on Monday, we thought it'd be a great idea if I kind of introduced him to the congregation. So I agreed to it, but I'm going to disobey it now. And he can't stop me because I have the microphone. But here's what I want to do. I'm not going to make an introduction because he doesn't need one. So what I've decided to do is just to be obedient. Obedient to this scripture right here. I meditated on it last night, and I meditated it on this morning. And I didn't cry first service, so I'm not crying this service either. Well, we'll see. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So yes, I get the privilege to introduce to you my pastor. The guy who thought it was a good idea to take a 25-year-old and bring him on the team who looked like he was 17 and honestly acted like he was 13. Who allowed him to break things, to be a mess, to be a little unruly, but then took me on and taught me to preach, taught me to pray, taught me to lament, to mourn, to weep, to pastor. I didn't say this last service, but I thought of it. He also taught me to be courageous. Because when God called me away and Phil wasn't in my ear, his words were still in my mind. And I had some moments I had to be courageous. I had to stand on conviction. I had to do the right thing even though it wasn't popular. And I had to lead And I learned how to lead. Lead like a lion. To lead and say, I love my sheep. And even though it hurts, I'm going to make this hard choice. And so I want to introduce to you my pastor, my father in the faith, my encourager, my exhorter, the lion who led me, who still leads me. I want to introduce to you my pastor, Pastor Philip Howard. Every word I wrote down for him. No. <laughs> that is overwhelmingly kind. Kind. Hello, Val. It's good to see you. You know, I, it's hard, but I've, uh, you'll have to forgive the voice. I've had one throat surgery. Uh, the doctor said I could have a hundred. That was very encouraging. Uh, I was supposed to declare, get my voice back in ten weeks, and it's been six months. So uh, you won't have to worry about me yelling at you. Uh, but the yell is still there. I just don't have the capacity. Uh, it is so good to be here. I'm so glad God has brought Valley this far. I'm glad. I'm glad you've survived the COVID and all the limitations. Uh, I'm so glad for the present team. Glad God brought Paul. Think of Paul. His first Sunday to this church was uh, March 15th, and nobody was here. Just try preaching to nobody for a year. And... uh, just to have you there now, have a, a live congregation, it makes all the difference. How do you know if you're connecting in a sermon? Well, uh, your faces have a way of communicating. 
And when we're just preaching and it's going out on, you know, live stream and we don't know uh, the elders, the deacons. Uh, you know, uh, I want to not forget this moment that uh, we had uh, Tim Lottie Bordier was on our broadcast Friday night. Did anybody hear the broadcast? Okay, one, my wife, we pay them. We have to pay people to listen. Uh, and we had Tim uh, describe what it was like for a boy that grew up in this church, grew up with Catherine and Chuck, Christian parents, and then wind up in Iraq and watch some of his dearest friends killed in front of him as bombs destroyed the tank. That Tim shared that he should have been in. And after six years, God brought him back. He brought Mac back. He brought Kirby Hughes back. And uh, I like to say, if you're someone that has fought to protect this country, uh, would you stand? Have you been in the military? Stand, Timothy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we owe much. It's one thing to rant and rave about politics. It's another thing to face a bullet and to come home alive. Uh, thank you, thank you for your service. Turn with me to Hebrews 3. Verse 7. Can you hear me? Susie, can you hear? Okay. Yeah, you say that all the time, though. No, as long as we're loud enough, because I'm dependent on the team. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And the rebellion is Exodus 17, where they complained that there was no water. And they wanted to stone Moses. When you don't know what to do, kill the leader. You know, one other time they didn't know what to do. They said, let's kill Moses and go back to Egypt. You don't need a leader to take you back. You need a leader to take you forward. And you, would, would you like a definition of a leader? Now, this is brilliant. Don't forget this. Here's the definition. It's someone who leads. <laughs> These are profound. I've been storing them up. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then in Numbers, the ten spies said, we can't go into the land. So another rebellion. And where your fathers put me to the test ten times and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so, at least a million, at least a million marched to death over 40 years. Because they said, we can't go into the promised land. And God had promised it to Abraham. God's word was at stake. But the majority report says we can't. And that's where Paul, to have courage, to be a Caleb, uh, and to be a Joshua, if God said we can, we can. The majority report is not always right. God plus one person who will trust him makes a majority. Take God. If you're following the voices of men, you'll always be a slave to public opinion. And I want to tell you, to stand for Christ in the Bay Area, you can't be listening to the public or you won't say anything from this book. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, 
as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I say encouragement is urgent. Uh, this past, what we've lived through has been hard on everybody. Uh, the loneliness of those, imagine being a single person shut up in your house for a year. Uh, what would you do? Uh, I've watched more TV in the last year than in my whole life. And if you want to stay depressed, stay tuned in. Stay tuned in. No good news. There's no good news on any of the networks. There's no good news. And they say, I feel down. Well, what did you do? Well, I listened to the news for four hours. Well, sure, you caught it. You're good. You ought to be down. Yeah. But we've been shut in, TV, whatever. Uh, David Thoreau, he wrote, this is a classic line. He wrote this years ago. Thoreau wrote in the 1800s. But this line is often quoted. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. You see them. You see the stress. Uh, they've got good jobs, maybe. Bad marriage. Good kids. Bad kids. Uh, all, all of that. And the stress leads to distress, and distress puts them in a state of uh, depression. And many times that depression is permanent discouragement. And so that even prophets of God have been so discouraged, they prayed to die. Moses in Numbers 11 said, God, kill me. I can't take another people problem. All the people were griping, murmuring, complaining. By the way, God killed as many Jewish complainers as he did the immoral. He not only killed the fornicators in the wilderness, he killed the murmurers. Watch out. You can get killed either way. Uh, and then you come along with Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He's running from Jezebel. He's just had a great victory, killed all the prophets of Baal, great victory, ran like a deer to this new place, rested, came to the juniper tree, said, God, kill me. I don't want to live anymore. Well, Elijah, let me give you a tip. Stop running. Jezebel would be glad to kill you. You're running from Jezebel. She'd be glad to answer your prayer. Then you get Jonah after the greatest revival in history where maybe a million people put their faith in God from one reluctant prejudicial prophet and God saved the whole city of Nineveh. And he goes out under a tree and because the shade is evaporating, he says, God, kill me. If you're going to give a revival, I don't want. And if you're going to take my shade, just kill me. That's pretty bad. He was a real prophet. Elijah was a real prophet. Moses was a real prophet. And they all asked God to kill them. Desperate, desperate times. Uh, and then, as we're going to see our need for encouragement, you've got the old song that could depress you but it's profound. When the songwriter wrote, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. Have you ever been that person? Selling God out in a moment. Selling God out under the pressure, under the depression, under the stress. I will never forsake you. And yes, you will, Peter, but I'm praying for you, but you will do it so quick, you won't know what happened. I told you to watch and pray, and you're too sleepy to do that. You will deny me quicker than you can even say it. 
Of late, I've not heard of, I've heard more bad reports of moral failure, of preacher friends and Christian friends who say, what's happening? What's happening? Prone to wonder, Lord, how I feel it. You could sell God out in a minute. We're known for doing it. You can have paradise in your grip and trade paradise for a piece of fruit and start burying your loved ones. Every funeral says, we did it our way. And our way has killed the race. Uh, I think of the idea of encouragement. Let me read to you what a dictionary says it means. It says, to inspire with hope, courage, or confidence. Do you know anyone that does that for you? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know that you've ever done that for anyone? If they talk to you, will they be inspired with hope, with courage, with confidence? It means to give support to, to foster. It means to stimulate, to spur on. I've sort of been wondering what the coaches say at halftime when the Grizzlies are losing. Can you imagine halftime? Men were down by 10 points. It looks like it's over. Take courage. Win with grace. And lose with more grace. Because don't work that hard. You did your best. And we looked lousy. But stay in there. Stay in there. Or, or what about a little short fat man with a cigar in his mouth? and a growling voice getting in a bunker in London and say, we shall never, we shall never, we shall never surrender. We will fight you, Hitler, on the beaches. We will fight you on the sea. We will fight you in the air. But England will never give in to a despot like Hitler. I want to tell you that little bulldog talking, just using words, not a gun, not a fist. It struck courage in the English people while the city was being bombed and bombed and bombed. You've got to have somebody that thinks God can help you whenever things caving in, and he was such a man in history. Now, people in, in church, someone said that often you could sing about most churches where seldom is heard an encouraging word. Home, home on the range. And the range happens to be Valley Bible, maybe. Could you be encouraged by attending this church? We've got some, the rest of you, so I want to pray about it. Uh, listen to what Proverbs says. You can do for another person just with your mouth. Listen to this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21. Death, that's pretty strong. Now, of course, if you're a despot, you say kill him. But it's saying your effect on people, you can kill their morale, you can kill their courage, uh, you can kill the, uh, you know, you're, you're in the losing phase, you need someone to inspire you, to, to coach you, to do it. You can do it. You can do it. David went to work for iron workers, and one of the first days got out on the job, he tells me they have this huge task in front of them, and David in front of all the guys, he's the new guy on the block, he says in front of the foreman, we can't do that. The foreman brings him and takes him aside, and he said, young man, I know you're young, I know you're inexperienced, but let me tell you something. We don't pay men to say can't. And if you can't learn a different vocabulary, why don't you go draw your check and it's been good to know you. I can do all things. I, you don't know that, it's too many verses. I can do all things through Christ who discourages me. He what? 
He strengthens me. Well, let's look at the need for encouragement. Uh, and I hope some of you listening, not here today, you might be in your pajamas and you may have gotten used to staying home. We miss you. We wish you'd come back. You can't encourage me by drinking coffee at home. I need you here because you may encourage me. I think you can encourage me. Oh, you know what? Before I look at these needs, I'm breaking in here. You'll put it, you know, it's only been a year, so I have to learn all over. Uh, listen to this. Good words can make an anxious heart glad. Proverbs 12, 25. Good words. Not, not a good prescription. We run to medicine. We don't run to the word. When I grew up, we had altars in the tradition I grew up with. And we had long prayer meetings, often after church. And we would say, pray through, uh, cast your cares. And I re recollect when I was dating Carolyn, uh, her own home was in danger. They were uh, working their way towards a divorce. And she was brokenhearted over it. So many a night, on a Sunday night especially, I would wait around until her broken heart, she'd have to pray long enough that she had peace so she could go home because she's broken over her mom and dad. And she stayed in the altar. We'd say, stay in the altar till you have peace. And you that never grew up in that tradition, too bad, you missed out. Marvelous tradition. Because we didn't have money for medicine or for doctors. We had a God that said he'd help us when our heart was breaking. Has anyone ever prayed until you prayed through and God gave you peace in the midst of the storm. Anyone, raise your hand if they did. If you didn't, try prayer sometime. Try prayer. He says, a good word can lift anxiety from the heart. Now, are you equipped with a good word? Are you the critic of the church? You know what's wrong with us. You know what we ought to do. You're not worth spit when we're really fighting for courage. God told Israel, if the soldier doesn't believe you can win the war, send him back. We don't any, want anyone to discourage the troops. Says it in Deuteronomy. Don't need discouraging voices. The devil's already against us. We don't need you helping him out. We got to stand together and we stand together or we fall together. Well, uh, he said something like this, a, smooth, a soothing tongue is like a tree of life. Wow. Pleasant words are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Don't you love it? Now let me tell you the need, the need for encouragement. First thing that he describes is you're prone to have a hard heart. He said, right, look at here, verse 8, do not harden your hearts. Uh, he said, they keep going astray down in 10 in their hearts. He goes on down in the passage. They've hardened their hearts. They've hardened their hearts. What is a hard heart? Some way it becomes resistant. And of course, clay, once it loses moisture and loses the potter's hands. I just talked to a potter after the first service and said, Oh, when it hardens, we can do something with it. And I said, tell me, what do you do? He said, we grind it up. We break it up. We put water on it. And we hammer it. We hammer it. We hammer it into powder so we can get it back again. Do you need to be hammered? Do you need God to break you? He knows how. Your stubbornness is not greater than his sovereignty. He knows how to make you willing. He knows how. And we get a hard heart. That's what's the danger of growing up in church. You've got used to hearing the Bible and singing, and you just it's a routine because you lost a tender heart towards the shepherd and towards the potter. I heard of this when W.A. Criswell the pastor of First Baptist in Dallas. He's celebrating his 25th anniversary. And 
huge church, about 20,000 people, own blocks in Dallas, huge ministry. And uh, for the 25th anniversary, they had a big event coming together. And at that event, a young lawyer, uh, not so young at this event, but a lawyer came up to Dr. Criswell and he said, Dr. Criswell, congratulations. He said, you know what? I started attending First Baptist when you became the pastor. He said, is that right? Uh, tell me about it. He said, well, I went ahead and got my law degree. I, I've been practicing law, whatever. And he said, you know what? In those early days, uh, they called him Wally Criswell. He said, you used to reach me. You used to make me sense God and conviction, and I could sense God wooing me and wooing me. And he said, you know what? You've become a much better preacher, but you don't reach me anymore. He said, I could set through anything you preach and don't feel conviction. I don't feel the wooing. I don't hear the voice of God. I just said, hey, did a good job in oratory and rhetoric, but I don't hear any other voice but yours. He had hardened his heart. Sermons no longer reach. The hymns no longer melt the heart. Don't harden your heart. That's why we need encouragement. We tend to get hard. He goes on to say, they're always straying. Read through the passage. You're always going to stray, verse 10. Why are you always going to Temptation, always going toward it, always falling. Just We're always trying to prop you up and, and keep you straight. He said, you've got to be around encouragers because I'm tending to stray in a moment. I can do what may destroy my marriage, might destroy my testimony. In a moment, I can do the wrong thing because my heart still has, there's a residue of sin in me that sin still looks good. It still looks good. That's why I could be tempted. It's still in there. Still in there. Then he says something else. He said, uh, you're falling away. And, and here you've got in this audience, you've got true believers that are reading this epistle that he calls it an exhortation epistle. He says, you bear with my exhortation. And so he's got believers that are feeling the Jewish pressure. Go back. Go back to Judaism. Uh, you're becoming a Gentile. If you buy the Messiah, if you give up kosher eating, if you go back, if you no, you must go back to your Jewishness, your ancestors, because we're going to set a plate at the next Passover and treat you as a dead son if you don't return. We're going to put you out of the will. We're going to put you out of the family. You can't become a Christian and remain in Judaism. And they're vacillating. They're counting the costs back and forth, back and forth. And uh, they can be so deceived, falling away. And make up your mind. Make, and these other believers are, other Jewish believers, oh, we had to do it. We, we get tempted. We want to go back. We want to be with all the family. Not easy, not easy. It probably costs you nothing to become a Christian except you gave up some terrible habits. But, but you didn't lose your family probably. It would cost them their family. Finally, he said, you're being deceived by sin. You see, sin's temptation always shows you the bait and hides the hook. It always shows the bait, but the poor little fish doesn't know it's going to cost him his life if he takes the bait. And sin is that way. Come on, come and get it. You'll like it. It tastes good. It, it's good. No idea. You won't die. You, it won't hurt. First John 1 10 says, if you say that you can sin without any lasting effects from it, you are deceived because it's a perfect tense. 
if you think you can sin and there will be no remaining effects, you're deceived, you're deceived, you're deceived. Here, just take a little meth. It, it, it won't hurt you. Oh, you can quit it any time, 10 years later. Why do you have to have meth? I'm hooked. It, I'm addicted. i got to have it. Why are you hooked on porn? It was just going to be an innocent, quick little view. But you tasted, said, oh, that, that meets the need of that sin-depraved nature in me. I could always enjoy sin because I'm a sinner. And he said, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. We've got to encourage one another because people every week are making up their mind, will I serve God or sin? Will I serve God or be deceived? I've got to make up my mind. Now, what are the sources for your encouragement? If you need encouragement, where can you get it? Are you ready? I can't hear you. Do you take notes? I, I can't hear you. Here, I don't have time to look at each passage, but the Trinity are all a source of comfort and encouragement. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, he is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trials that we may comfort others with the comfort he has given. You're qualified to be a comforter if God has ever comforted you. And God the Father does that. The God the Son, he's called intercessor. He's called advocate, parakletos, the one called alongside to help. He said to be my helper. He intercedes, he advocates, he is my helper in the throne room of God. His five bleeding wounds appeal for me. Then the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, you're brokenhearted in John 14 that I said I'm going away. Listen to me. I'm going to send you the helper. And when I said the Holy Spirit, he will be an encouraging helper. I will put him in you and he will be with you forever. And he is an encourager. David said in 1 Samuel 30 at Ziglag when his wives and children had been kidnapped by the enemy and his men wanted to stone him, he said, I will encourage myself in the Lord. Do you know how to do that? The fourth thing that God's given to us encourages are the scriptures. Romans 15, 3 and 4. He gave us the scriptures that we might be encouraged. And there's David. His men are ready to stone him because they lost their wives and their property. How can we solve the problem? Kill David. You still don't have your wife. You still don't have your goods. But when you don't know what to do, stone those that are supposed to be the leaders. And our leaders have had plenty of lip and a lot of opinion from everybody, how we should have acted these past 15 months. Thank you for standing. Thank you for leading. Anybody can lead when there's no opposition. It's when there's opposition, it's hard to lead. But David encouraged himself. He used the scriptures. Those Psalms he wrote. He probably began to think, you know what? God rescued me from a lion. He rescued me from a bear. And he rescued me from a nine foot six Goliath. I think he could rescue me at Ziglag. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And they rescued everything. Nothing was lost. Have you ever encouraged yourself in the Lord? Just to give you a Bible and a quiet room. Could you encourage yourself? And I'll see people discouraged. i say, how are you doing in your Bible reading? Well, once in a while I do it. But they're fanatics about taking vitamins. Oh, you don't miss vitamins. You know, have you taken vitamins? Why, sure. That's the key to my health. 
Well, what about your spiritual temperature? How about taking in the Word of God called manna, called water, called substance of the soul? You'll start to, you always reflect what you chew on. You start looking like it. And when you're chewing on Scripture, it will make you positive about God. There's nothing wrong with God. There's a whole lot wrong with America. Boy, you've gotten so quiet since I've been here last. I wouldn't put up with a lot of it. If you can't amen what the preacher's saying, get a preacher that can preach. If you don't believe this stuff, don't. And so many of you have become political experts, and you're still ignorant about the Bible. It'd be good if you get full of the Bible. Um, you know another source of encouragement? I'll read it to you. Second Corinthians. Your brothers and sisters. Listen to Paul. Paul's in a bad way. He's in a church that is beating him to a pulp. But he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of the Holy Spirit. What does your translation say? Who's Titus? We're talking about an apostle needs encouragement. Can't you send someone better than Titus? And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. I want to tell you, God packages a lot of his comfort in a saint. You know, I love the fact I grew up in a church that there wasn't over 75 of us. And an old-timey church, we have what we call testimony services, and some people every week we found out which organ in their body was hurting. It was kind of like an organ recital. Uh, you know, they had the same old testimony. But my dad used to tell me, as he said, don't go to church without a verse you want to share. Don't go to church without a verse to share. So, I mean, you may share it in the testimony time, but you were to share it sometime in that meeting. Be sure you get to sharing. And uh, it was wonderful. And believe me, he always went to church with a verse. Did you come with one today? Do you come to church prepared to encourage anyone? Now, I know you need encouragement, but can you encourage? Thank you, Willie. And the rest of you that are sleeping with Rip Van Winkle, uh, you're so convicted you can't agree. No, no. Do you have a verse? Not a gripe. A verse. A verse. I seldom have a verse laid on me. I remember I was in a hard place, and Brian Fernandez came to me. And I started pastoring this church. Brian was about six or seven years old. So he felt awkward, and he told me, I feel awkward trying to encourage you as the pastor. And I said, I understand, Brian. Brian was in his 30s. He said, but God laid on my heart some verses. And he opened his Bible, and he started reading Psalms to me. Guess what? I was encouraged before he got through. He didn't claim to be a preacher. He didn't claim to be. I just came to read to you what the Bible says. And it encouraged me. I think of his brother. When uh, a dear girl that he married named Robin Dean out of Alliance Church, about 16, when she started riding her bike, 
She might have been 15. She didn't have a driver's license. She would ride her bike to Holy Ghost Hall in Pinal and attend the Bible study. She was a precious young lady and a sincere Christian. Well, Matt Fernandez married her, loved her dearly. And uh, she went in to have her third baby at Vallejo Kaiser. And in the process, I think toxema or something set in and infection took her life. But with all the Fernandez family, Annie and her children were all there. I don't know how many blue codes they went through before I'd gotten there. But when we got there, we're waiting. What was going to happen to the baby, little Ruth? What's going to happen to Robin? And Matt's here with his family. They get the final blue coat. She had died. Now he's going to go home and take an infant in his arms plus two other young children. And uh, while we're standing there with all the family, Matt, he said, Pastor, read to me. I said, uh, okay, what do, you, what do you want, Matthew? And I read 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe Jesus died, he shall come again. We will be raised from the dead. We will be transfigured. And I, I went on down. I read it once. And then Matthew said, read it again. I think I read it twice. And they said, read it again. It was about the third time. I said, Matthew, Matthew, why do you want me to keep reading it? He said, because of verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He said, I'm grieving and I need courage because I got to bury my wife instead of go home with her. Can you read it again? My heart's aching. I'll take Ruth home, but I got to leave Robin. And they truly were in love with each other. See, he just said, he believed it. He believed in the coming of Christ as strong as anyone I knew in those days. Read it to me. I'm burying a loved one. And he said, if you read this, if you believe this, you'll have courage at the cemetery. Have you buried any loved ones lately? Have you buried any? I was one scared person when it come to funerals until I came to Christ. And now he lit up the graveyard for me. It's lit up because death isn't the end of the story. We will live again. We will live again. We will live again. Let me close with just four practical things you ought to do if you would like to encourage anyone. If you don't want to encourage them, don't do anything to stay in your own private Christianity and let them drown. But if you like to be a part of God's encouragement team, four things. Come near. Number one, come near. And that was the Jewish concept. When there was a grieving widow or whatever, people wanted to stay away. He said, you can't comfort me unless you come near. What did Jesus say in Gethsemane? Be with me and stay awake. You pray, you can't drink the cup, you can't drink the cup, but you can be with me. Come near. Two, come with a word from God. You say, I, I'm not a talker. I don't know what to say. Can you crack a Bible? Can you just find out where it says comfort for the grieving? Just read a verse. You're not the comforter. You're just an agent. Okay. So come with a verse. Come with a verse. Uh, three, come because you care. Can you imagine you coming and say, well, I'm just doing this because I heard a message and I guess I'll obey. Oh, wow. You would kill it. It's like buying flowers for your anniversary. You say, Whew, got that over with. Come because you care. 
And then finally, I quote 2 Timothy 4, when Paul said to Timothy, come before winter. Come before winter. Let me read to you what Chuck Swindoll said. Paul's in a cell in Rome. He, he, the next appointment is to be beheaded. But he's there. He's been in prison before, but this is his last day. Latrines ran through a subterranean cell. They dug. It was in the earth. Cold. They did not feed prisoners. Uh, he was exposed to the elements because it was open. I've seen a, in Rome, I went looking for the Mamertine uh, prison, and there's a replica there. So he's there, no TV, no heat, uh, no latrine, except a, uh, like a stream running through the cell, carrying the waste from the prison. And here he says in the chapter, everybody in Asia has departed from me. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I'm all alone, Timothy. And the countdown's on. I need my cloak. I must have left it at the abode of Carpus in Troas. You'll have no trouble spotting it, Timothy. It's an old thing, but it's been my back through many a bitter warm winter. It's been wet with the brine of the great sea, white with the snows of the rugged peaks of Pamphylia, gritty and brown from the dust of the Ignatian Way, and crimson with my own blood from that awful stoning at Lystria. The cloak is stained and torn. Timothy, but winter's coming, and I need the warmth it will bring. Also, I need the books. You remember them, the ones I read under candlelight as we rode out the rough waters of the Aegean and endured the rigors of Macedonia together, those scrolls that fed my mind with fresh bursts of hope and stimulating ideas. Bring along those books, my friend. I especially need the parchments. Those are my most treasured possessions. Timothy, how I need the comfort of King James or King David's Psalms, the fortitude from the prophet's pens, the insights and perception from Solomon's Proverbs. Yes, parchments, surely they will help keep my heart warm and my hopes high in this desolate dungeon. But Timothy, I need you. How desperately I need you. Make every effort to come. Come before winter. Come before November's winds strip the leaves from the trees and send them whirling across the fields and swirling through the busy streets above me. Come before the snow begins to fall and covers flat carts and frozen ponds with its icy blanket. Come, my friend. The time of my departure has arrived. Soon the blade will drop, and time for me will be no more. I cannot bear the thought of midwinter without the warmth of your companionship. Those eyes of understanding those words only you can bring to get me through this barren and bitter season. Oh, Timothy, make every effort to come before winter. There's somebody in your life, maybe, that winter has come upon them in the season of their heart. They need you. They desperately need you. They might be grieving, it can be a widow. It can be a prodigal son. It can be a discouraged saint. I'm in a, uh, I'm taking a class with pastors. It's a Zoom class. 
You'd be amazed at how much discouragement they fight and live with. Discouragement. They don't pastor 10,000 member churches. They pastor little churches. Churches 90, 150. And criticism abounds in this season. I remember Paul, you saying in a staff meeting one time, we were asking each other, what does it mean to be instant in season and out of season? Basically, it means in good times and bad times, keep doing what you ought to do. And we've been in a bad season. We've been in a non-revival season. I'm longing to see these baptistry waters move. We ought to be baptizing every month. But you and I have got to do the one another's. And the evangelism help these brothers try to get us to do. Uh, Where's the next generation? You know, I started with an empty building. I think it could be refilled, but maybe refilled with the kind of generation God gave me. They were younger than me. I was 27. Steve was 24. I can't tell you how long Karen was. It would reveal her identity. Uh, We were young. We were young. And through the years, these 48 years, many of us travel together somewhere on the earth in Christ. It's time for another generation to emerge. It's no time to throw in the towel. We pray for revival and keep preaching the book keep loving people and taking them. Say, There's hope at Valley because we got a Savior. He can set you free. I ask you, Father, to encourage the discouraged that may be here today or watching. Uh, maybe they've decided I'm not going back to church. Maybe they've just quit church altogether. I have no idea, Lord. But I know we need one another. I know that in my brother and in my sister, I can see Christ. They remind me of heaven and remind me I'm a pilgrim. I'm just traveling through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm just a traveling. And I feel like the old southern spiritual. I'm just a wayfaring stranger longing for the home where my mama and my daddy and my siblings have already gone to. I'm going home someday. But in the meantime, I don't want a hard heart. I don't want to stray. I don't want to fall away. I don't want this ice-cold age to turn my heart to stone. Heat my heart. Make me pliable in the potter's hands. And it's no time to quit. It's always the right time to stand, to pray, to weep over lost people, and to pray that the Savior will become their Savior. Let us stand. Stand with us right now.